Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Apris Retail. Want to take a deeper dive into the future of returns? Then you need the latest consumer returns in the retail industry report. Published by the National Retail Federation and Apris Retail, it offers valuable insights into the overall state of returns in a range of retail categories. Compare your returns performance against other retail brands and understand the trends that will help shape better customer experience for your good customers while mitigating return risks. Download your free copy at aprisretail.com slash retail exchange. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the interview series on the Retail Exchange podcast with me, Carl McKeever. Our guest on this episode is Ron Harries, SVP of Retail at activewear brand Fabletics. I'm a consumer just like everybody else. And I go I go into retail stores sometimes as a consumer and then sometimes as a competitor. I want to see what people are doing. Um, and I, I get frustrated when when companies, retailers, they're not investing enough in the people aspect of their business. And, you know, technology is great, but technology just for the sake of technology isn't going to improve anyone's um, experience. So you go in and you have a a lackluster experience or there's not enough people or you you can't find a place to check out. That's not good for the industry. So I'd say that type of thing keeps me up at night to where we need retailers to be good, whether they're a competitor of ours or not. We need them to drive traffic and make it to where people want to do business and want to do business in a physical space. And I think the more of us that kind of focus on that and invest in that, the better off we're all going to be. Many of us have barely been out of leisure wear for the last two years. One brand that was riding the wave of demand for athleisure clothing long before the pandemic hit is US brand Fabletics. 2023 marks the 10th anniversary for the digitally native brand, co-founded by actress and entrepreneur Kate Hudson. In that time, Fabletics has been busy pulling in a loyal customer following. For the last six years, Ron Harries has been the person responsible for leading the development of its retail proposition, unpicking the ever more complex interplay of data and retailing. His tenure has seen the Go Faster brand significantly increase its visibility across the US, with a raft of strategic store openings. He reveals the importance of data-driven retail growth, why digitally native and established retailers aren't cut from the same cloth, how the lines between online and in-store are becoming increasingly blurred, why he'll never step away from the challenge of delivering better retail, and the brand's plans for the future. Here's the interview. Ron, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. So so what I'd like to do is to, first off, begin with a little bit of the Fabletics story, please. Give us some of that early context from Hollywood to the high street. Fabletics launched the brand in 2013, um, and it really is a leading global fashion and lifestyle company. Uh, And we're committed to inclusivity and delivering performance, quality and style. We've got a couple of different brands, Fabletics and Yiddy, both sister brands. 
both both based on a membership model, which is quite unique. And, and, you know, we're very proud of the model and it's been a good success for us. So has there been a pivotal moment which has really changed the game for the brand? You know, I would say yes. Since launch in 2013, quickly started to amass a lot of members. And we were early in, in kind of that membership model uh, aspect of business. When we got to 500,000 members in North America, it really made sense. That was kind of that, that tipping point, that launching point for us to go into physical retail. And from a direct-to-consumer, digitally native brand, we were early on that front as well. And so I would say that was kind of that most pivotal moment, getting to that first 500,000 members, launching our retail stores, uh, and then the brand really took off from there. As, as a brand, you're offering something which really gives people a, a, a moment of enjoyment, I guess. You know, for, for many people, fitness and the whole aspect of working out wellness is very, very important in their lives. How does the brand lift people up? Well, you know, it's interesting when I think of lift people up or, or the term uplifting, it's part of what we call our North Star. Um, we believe we can be best in the world at just uplifting those around us. So whether that's the member or the retail guest that gives us an opportunity to serve them and sell them the product that we offer, or the associates that work on our team, uh, also giving them that same opportunity to really give them an uplifting environment, uplifting experience. And that's very important to us. We believe we can be best in the world at it. That is our drive and aim in life. And we've got everybody pulling on the same rope. And you mentioned earlier on the start of the discussion that it's a very inclusive, very diverse brand. You know, you you welcome all. But do you have to be super fit to be part of your community? Or is it really from the, the absolute starters through to people who are pretty elite? I like to say just come as you are. And, and that really is kind of what the brand is all about. From a size inclusivity standpoint, we go from extra, extra small to 4X. Uh, in, in our product categories. We actually go up to 6X in our Yiddy brand. And you know we really want to be able to uplift all those who give us the opportunity to do so. So you know, very inclusive. In our retail stores, we do a lot of different fitness events, a lot of different shopping events, community style events, uh, really designed just to, to bring like-minded people in uh, and let them experience the brand, let them experience engagement and uh, and each other. It's really, it's really been uh, a great part of our success. And our stores are designed where we can move our fixtures out of the way. You know, we put yoga mats down. We do hit classes. We do different community events in our retail stores. And I think that has helped us keep that community alive, keep people engaged, and on their journey, whatever that journey is for them. Um, uh, I think we've been a big part of that. So, tell us a little bit about your role and responsibilities within the brand. Yeah, I head up. Uh, I head up the retail fleet for the brand. Uh, when I started in 2016, we had five stores. Uh, we ended last year with 93 stores in the United States. We've got one store in Berlin and one store in uh, London. So very rapid growth. Um, I, so the real estate team reports into me, and then the store operations uh, and related teams report into me. And what have been some of those key learnings of you know such a, a rapid acceleration in terms of store numbers? Culture is key. Um, we've got to make sure that we do everything in our power to kind of maintain that uplifting culture. We hire associates that, that, you know, just the way you and I would like to be hired and treated. Come as you are. Just be nice. Be uplifting. Be engaging. That's critically important to us. 
Uh, and, and that's been really the, the biggest learning. The challenges we've had, are, it's less around finding the right location. You know, we, we have a very unique and interesting strategy to help us find real estate locations that's, that we've been successful deploying. But on that people side, as we grow in just sheer numbers and, and as that scale grows, you know, I, we had probably 60 employees when I started. We've got about 1,300 retail employees in the field today. Um, that that's been really that that focus and priority for us, uh, and we've done a really good job with it. We've learned so much along the way, but that's been that critical aspect that helps separate us from from others. And how important is it that your teammates in stores, you know, sort of live and breathe the brand? You know, you know, in as much as let's say they've got some fitness in their blood. I guess if you're in other forms of retail, maybe you don't necessarily need to have such a strong affinity with the product. Yeah, it's really important that they they become ambassadors of the brand. They, they become these like influencers. Some of them on a on a smaller scale, and then some of them on a very large scale. We have associates that are very active on social media and TikTok and different platforms, and uh, and we really encourage that. It's not necessarily all geared toward fitness. It's really geared toward community and engagement and just driving just driving engagement among our associates and, and our members and our retail guests. Um, that That's really been the critical aspect of it for us. So actually, it's more about having the right personality and perhaps connection with the guests, as opposed to you being someone who's there to really champion fitness in its own right, as it were. And that's absolutely correct. We really want people to get to know the guests, get to know and help solve the reason why they're in our retail store. You know, that could be just the first time shopping. It could be maybe something, a, a fitness journey that they're starting or well on their way with. It could be just a return that they want to make or an exchange that they want to make. Part of our model is to do business on the customer's terms. And that's really one of the toughest things to do in retail today. A lot of retailers try to have the customer do business on their terms. And it's, it's important to us to really put the time in and, and do that work to find out what it is the customer is after, and then how do we help solve that problem. Uh, and that's been a differentiator uh, as we have you know, gone to market and continue to open in new markets. You've clearly been on a very positive growth spurt recently, and it's great to see that you've been opening so many physical stores. But what do you think are some of the key headwinds and challenges which exist now for athletic apparel retailers? When I think of just the athletic space alone, you know, you I always think of those seismic shifts that could take place in what people want to wear and, and just trends in different fashion, things like that. Our business has been resilient. We came through last year in, in a good position. We had a really solid fourth quarter. We're off to a very fast start this year. Um, so I, I feel like we're well positioned. We are at a point with 93 stores in the United States. We're at a point where that real estate is getting a little more challenging. I think we've got some headwinds there. Our competition knows about us. So where they can, they'll put in um, non-compete disclosures in certain parts of malls and different things. Um, which, you know, I would do the same thing if I were them. So there's some challenges there. Um, and then the people. It's really just continuing to attract and retain the very best talent you could possibly uh, attract and retain. And, you know, th those are the types of things that we spend the majority of our time on. 
and I guess all of this will come down to the quality of the brand experience that you provide to your guests and and how you continue to to delight the consumer. But you know, what concerns you most about the state of retail generally? For for many businesses and different sectors, you know, retail has been tough in recent years. There's been a raft of store closures. Department stores have figured particularly badly in certain markets. What are the sort of concerns that keep you awake at night when you think about your retail business? It is the people. You know, the the last couple of years have been very challenging for, I think, anyone in the service sector, anyone really who is serving uh, customers, members and guests in our uh, particular case. Uh, and having the right people and attracting and retaining the right people is really what has, has kept me up at night. And it, it really is what we're focused on. That we're fortunate in that the member and guests that we serve, they're really just very generally happy and amazing people. So, you know, when I'm on the retail floor and, and I'm meeting members and guests and, and working with side by side with our associates, I'm always just not surprised anymore. I've been doing this now for seven years here at the company, but I'm always just uplifted myself in this that the people we serve are absolutely fantastic. And I think we're very fortunate on that front. So we haven't had some of the problems that other service sector businesses have had. But in, in our case, it's really just making sure that we've got the right people at the right place at the right time. It's, it's so much who we are. And we prioritize that engagement model. You know, we, we actually talk a lot about the membership in our retail stores. So it's so important that we have the right people. And I think a lot of retailers have struggled with resources post-pandemic. Uh, you know, not everybody has returned back into the workplace. Certain sectors, hospitality being one, retail being another, have struggled to attract people back into the workplace. Are there any things particularly that you're doing within Fabletics that make you a great place to work and give people even more reason to be there? I think probably the most critical is an uplifting work experience. When, when people come into work, we want them a to feel valued. Um, we want them to really understand that the work that they're doing is very important. We, we, our store managers will impact the lives of many, many, many individuals. Some of them just starting out for the first time in lives. Um, our associate base, they're going to interact with so many people and they have an opportunity to make that interaction something that's memorable and special. So those people leave, feel um, leaving good. I think that's the, that's the secret you know, you're always going to have to worry about pay and certain benefits and things like that. You've got to be competitive. Um, but the secret to retention and really attracting the right talent is to making sure that they feel valued and they feel that the work they're doing is, is important. The, the pandemic forced many retailers to change and pivot their strategy literally on a dime. I mean, you know, people were literally having to make it up day to day, hour to hour in terms of how things were changing. But for Fabletics, how is Omnichannel now part of your business post-pandemic? It's an interesting question. Um, you know, I've been in retail for over 30 years and I, I, was, I was with retailers kind of in the early days of kind of that first pickup in store and curbside pickup and those types of things. Um, Fabletics to me uh, and our, our technology stack, which is a fully proprietary, it's really one of the true omni leaders in the retail industry. Omni-channel retail should be just completely friction-free. Everything you can do online, you should be able to do in-store. It should be seamless to that to that customer, in our case, that member or guest. Um, and we are we're really groundbreakers, uh, disruptors on that front. 
Also unique to us is that membership model. So we we acquire a lot of members online. We acquire, acquire a lot of members in our retail stores. Um, and it's so important to us that, that that experience be the same. Everything that that person can do online, they can do in store and vice versa. Uh, so I, I feel like, you know, we've really done a good job there. There's always room to innovate and improve. That's very high focus for us. In general, I think retail has caught up on the Omni front. Um, but I, I talk to a lot of other retailers. I talk to a lot of other retail business runners. And it's interesting to me how that tension between store and online still exists. We don't have that tension uh, at Fabletics. And I think part of that is because we were digitally native before we opened stores. I think the reverse of that, you know, store running businesses that have tried to go more online, there's really a tug and a pull between those those channels. Our teams, we're channel agnostic. We just want to serve people. And of course, one of the things that's going to affect that, and especially the, the, the profitability or success of any particular retail location, is is the impact of customer returns. Uh, I think we're we're now seeing that customer returns are, are really increasing again, you know, post-pandemic. The customer has many more places and choices about where to shop. The particular acronym here always makes me smile. But if we talk about Boris and beyond, how is this affecting your performance? I love traffic, so I will take any traffic <laughs> anyone can possibly give me. Um, we There's no such thing as bad traffic. Nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. Uh, and I would say Boris, or, or Return in Store, is has been it's a game changer for any brand. But for us in particular, we train toward that experience. When somebody walks into, uh, into a store with a poly bag, I, mean, I, I want people running to the store to greet that person and grab that poly bag out of their hand and take it to the, you know, an area where we can spread things out and see if there's anything else in the store that they want to buy. That's very, very important. The other aspect, though, to digitally native or at least digital retail, that's so important. Customers, like I, I literally just bought a couple of pair of pants the other day, and they're sitting in my closet and I'm deciding they weren't that expensive. Do I really want to send them back? It's, it's a little bit of a hassle where if I had a store I could take them to, I would immediately take them. I might exchange. I might just return them. I don't know, but I won't buy from that brand again because they didn't fit. I don't like the product. Um, and in this case, I don't even know if I'm going to return it. That's a disaster for a retailer, absolute disaster. So we want to make sure that we have, touch points for a customer to do a return, do an exchange, talk to our associates, get the right product for them. Uh, and it's been a game changer. Returns are tough. You, 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 know, you have to put that product somewhere. You have to have a good method to send that product back out wherever it's going to go. You know, we're very good at that. Um, and I would say critically important on this one is that the, the associate working for the brand, they have to love returns. They have to not care at all that that product is coming back. They can't see it as a task or work. Um, they have to see it as an opportunity to make something right. We prioritize that one. That, that's really such an interesting and, and very different approach. But I guess it's something which kind of fits in with other patterns I'm sensing in the conversation here, that you will literally try and bend over backwards to try and make your guests happy. I think successful retail today is going to do business on the customer's terms. The customer has so much information, so many options, so many choices. There's so much competition. Um, the, the retailer, the business runner has to find a way to do, do business the way the customer wants to do business. And we're, you know, we're, we're hell-bent to, to make that happen. Like countless customers, 
I've had more than my own fair share of grumbles when it comes to returns. But returns are a headache for retailers too. APRIS Retail allows retailers to replace harsh and restrictive return policies and rules with flexible and adaptable models that predict the risk in each transaction. Transform transactional data into an information-rich database. Construct an accurate historical picture. Predict individual customers' behaviours. Detect and deter potentially fraudulent customers. It's far different from simplistic rules and broad-based returns policies. Whether your objective is to generate more sales from existing foot traffic, to capitalise on BOPIS or BORIS transactions, or to improve returns management. To learn more, visit aprisretail.com slash retail exchange and download your free copy of the latest consumer returns in the retail industry report published by the National Retail Federation and Apris Retail. So what are the things uh, that you're most proud of there where you've taken an early leadership position in terms of developing and rolling out a very frictionless omni-channel experience for consumers? Yeah, I'd say the, the big one and a differentiator for us is is that member model. I can't think of too many other retailers that offer a membership that also serve just kind of a retail public. I always think of Costco as an example. You have to be a member to shop in a Costco store. Um, where in our store, you don't have to be a member. We serve a lot of members in a lot of different ways. We serve a retail population, just the retail guest that wants to pay a higher price. We acquire a lot of members in our retail stores and that's that's very unique to us, and something that that myself and our, our you know our, our entire population is is just very focused on and very proud of. Um, that's probably the big piece, and I'm really proud of the the culture. Um, you know, whether that comes through in our NPS scores or our Great Places to Work scores, just that importance of of people feeling involved and feeling engaged and feeling like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. I think is something that that our entire team is really proud of. And, and presumably to be a member of the Fabletics community here, there's lots of benefits for the customer or the guests as you refer to them. And I can understand how that will show up in terms of experiences in store, special events, those kind of things. But presumably as well, membership also brings benefits to you as the company in terms of the type of behaviours, patterns, trends that you can spot in the data about how your members are shopping and working with the brand. Absolutely. Yeah, we are very data rich um, and, and data becomes currency. So we, we really try to make sure that we utilize that data to enhance member guest benefits, to enhance member guest experiences and, and really just to be cutting edge on that front. Um, but yeah, that's that's been a big part of it for us. It also allows us, you know, you, you talk about the, the benefit to the member, you've got the benefit to the business runner, the retailer. Um, we just know more about our consumer. We know what they like to buy. We know the sizes they like to buy. That helps us put the right styles and silhouettes and sizes in our retail stores. Uh, and then when they come in to do a return, chances are we have something they want in the store just because we know the members so well. Um, and they shop with us more often. We, we're kind of top of mind when you ask them about fitness brands. So there's a ton of benefits both ways. Um, but uh, it, it's definitely been a, a big part of the success of our retail strategy is that membership. So close to 100 store numbers now. What is your definition of good retail? And, and really, what really matters? And what are the traits of success? I would say friction-free experience focused on engagement, 
those are going to be kind of the, the biggest aspects of retail. You've got to have your stores in the right location. You know, you've got to have the right people at the right place at the right time, all of those things. But to me, that that those who make it in retail, especially those digitally native brands who really continue to excel in retail, they're going to have to find their way to a real friction-free experience for that person that they are serving in their retail stores. Uh, and they're going to have to find a way to make sure that it is a memorable, uplifting experience at every single opportunity. And, and those, are, those are tough things to achieve. And of course, many retailers have had a difficult time in the last sort of 10 years or so. E-commerce has been a game changer, and not just with brands with their own uh, e-coms um, sites, but also the, the big aggregators in terms of where, where they can shop. What's behind the fact that it's it's really the digitally native retailers which are leading the industry in store openings? It's it's not the established chains. The chains of the the eighties and nineties are actually in retreat. What we see is it's these new startup brands which have been around for less than ten years, which are really leading the growth back into the malls and onto the high streets. But 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 why are they doing this? I can I can point to a few things that are that, that we've seen um, and and we thought we would see and, and they've kind of come to light and it's probably going to be the same for them. The first part of that is like when you take Fabletics digitally native started in 2013, we got to that 500,000 member count. In order for us to grow that consumer, it was going to have to be able to touch and feel and get their size right. And I think at times online. Our, our, especially our acquisition offer and, and the discounts that you receive once you're a member, it almost looks a little too good to be true. So it adds the value for us to have that physical space. It's an acquisition channel, all of those things. But once the consumer was able to come into our stores, talk to our associates, these kind of brand ambassadors that knew all about the product, all about the membership, they got to touch and feel the product, try the product on, get their size right. That was a real differentiator for us. These other digitally native brands are going through the same thing where, I mean, we're served up ads every single day on Instagram or whatever your, the platform it, it is you're on. And as a consumer, I really want to try some of those brands on. I would love it if they had a retail store near me. I would love it if they, if they came up with some sort of, I don't know, pop-up strategy or something. And I think that's, that's where these brands, once they get to a certain point... Uh, whether it's Allbirds or some of these other brands that are opening a bunch of retail stores, they've realized that to take it to the next level and to continue to grow, they're going to have, have to have a physical presence. And do you think that's because inherently retail is experiential? You know, for me, I remember one of the first things where I experienced a digitally native brand was Casper. I visited one of their first store openings in Soho in New York, and then I did the same thing in California in San Francisco. For me, I was just a tourist on both occasions, and I had absolutely no desire to buy a mattress. However, I was intrigued by what they were doing as a store experience. I, I was delighted, actually, by some of the, the features, the characteristics, some of the, the ways that they brought their brand to life through different types of experiences, store design, service offers, etc. in store. So I guess that's really the heart of my question. It is success for retail stores these days, and of course, for your own, about really delivering something which is experiential in a way that the internet can't provide. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. And you could define experience a million different ways. Um, but I think just that ability to go in and interact and engage with the brand is exactly what physical retail is all about. 
and, and mm-hmm. you do that in a way that's friction free and you become this touch point for a million different things. You know, I, I think that's where you add value and, and that's why you open more stores and continue really expand your presence. Yeah. And again, another brand which I've always been impressed with in terms of how they combine experiential as a community is Rafa. As a cycle brand, they offer a strong sense of community. You know, their stores are constantly showing the latest road races and things which are going on internationally. And they organize physical rideouts with people. Uh, those people are interested to know Rafa is one of the brands we've previously interviewed. And you can find their details on the Retail Exchange podcast. Just put Rafa into a search box there and you'll be able to find that interview too. But, you know, community is really part of what experiential retail is all about. How do you feel about that within Fabletics? I will search that podcast when we're done here today. I, I, I'm somewhat familiar with that brand, very big, obviously, in, in Germany and Europe, and um, really interesting brand. Totally agree, though. That really is, when I think about the different fitness events that we do uh, and community events that we do in our retail stores, it's for that reason. It's just to create that community and create that engagement and just allow people kind of to emerge into the brand in the way that they want to emerge into. Uh, and it's it's very important. You know, you know we will do uh, thousands of events in our retail stores this year, and it's it's really for that reason. I, what I love about it, though, I always think of these these strategies and initiatives that I've had to do over the years, retailers do over the years. This is something that's very grassroots for us. We don't measure performance based on the number of events our store managers do. This is just something we have done. It's just something that's kind of developed over time. It's a part of our culture. Uh, So it it really is kind of this grassroots and very organic uh, approach to business that's just, it's become the way we design our retail stores and it's, it's just become a big part of who we are. And, and how much of your digital footprint that you've developed and learned about your customers is used in terms of where you show up next, in terms of uh, a physical store presence? You know, can the digital data point you to where you might have a need for a physical store or where you might want to fill in your footprint? Yeah, definitely. We've got um, 2.3 million members now kind of spread across um, the world. And the bulk of those are in the United States. We use that member data. That's that's really priority number one for us when we look at uh, retail locations. And when we put a retail store in a, in a market that's already got high density of members, you have this immediate traffic uh, and this immediate kind of service point for current members day one. And then it also comes with a little higher interest in our brand. Those members have friends. Those friends, maybe maybe they're not quite sure online, but once they go into our retail stores, it's a different level of engagement and experience. Uh, and we tend to acquire more members quicker in those types of markets as well. So that's been a focus of ours now really since 2016. Uh, when we look for uh, retail space, we use that data. And I guess that's so different now because uh, several years ago when retailers were looking for how to build their location strategy, it would be effectively just putting map pins into the geography effectively and looking at where you would fill in the spaces. Whereas really what you're saying is you can mine the data and actually see where is the consumer, where have you got most fans and followers, and therefore that will help perhaps to you know give those new stores the, the, the best chance of success from the start. Exactly. Yeah, it's our version of clicks to bricks, you know, where, where we can just we can be very exact in, in the way we kind of take that strategy to market just because of that member base. It's much different than a loyalty program. It's just a very exacting kind of a science that we can use. But you're exactly right. 
One of the things you mentioned earlier on was the fact that you do regularly monitor and manage your net promoter score. That's clearly one of those business KPIs which many people really consider that that matters. What are the KPIs do you think are key about how you set goals and measure success as you go forwards? Yeah, we have a number of different KPIs. Some of those are going to be more traditional retail KPIs. MPS is a good example of that. Um, we've got average order value and, and things like that that we also monitor and track closely. I think unique to us would be more the member aspect of what we do. Uh, so we, we kind of track lead to member and, and you know, make sure that our experience is right to acquire new members in our retail stores. Uh, those are important to us. We've got technology that, I mean, we're kind of this tech meets fashion company. We've got proprietary uh, patent pending technology in, in our fitting rooms that allows us to measure every pot product that goes into the fitting room and measure the product that then gets either purchased or put back on the shelf. Um, so we've got just, we're so data rich that we always look for opportunities to kind of monetize that data and make the decisions that are going to improve the experience. But then you've got that membership aspect again of what we do. So we, we know the members that live in a zip code. We know the members that live within a 10-minute drive time of a store, 15-minute drive time of a store. So you can really get very specific with that member that's the closest, that shops the most often. We know what sizes they buy, the colors they like, now, all of those things that allow us to be very precise and, and specific. Um, and that that's an area that we continually look for ways to improve and and innovate uh, and advance technology. And we're excited about uh, what the next couple of years have to, to bring on that front for us. And, and I know from the conversations I have with others that a lot of retailers are absolutely fixated on attribution. How do you view attribution of sales between online and physical stores? You know, is there a difference? Yeah, there is a difference. I think also just unique about that membership model for us um, is we can be very exact with um, with where a member acquired. Did they acquire online? Did they acquire in a specific retail store? If they acquired in a retail store, uh, what are their shopping habits after that? And we know precisely the importance of a retail acquired member. We know the, the precise importance of that same member who then shops multiple channels, we know the importance of the e-com member who then shops the retail channels or any of our um, kind of short-term activation pop-ups that we do. Uh, and we, we can be very precise with, uh, with that attribution. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been a big part of us measuring the success of a specific retail store and our entire retail fleet in, in ways that other retailers just aren't able to do because they don't have the membership. Uh, so yeah, attribution is very important to us. Uh, we have a pretty unique way of of looking at attribution and then how we measure the um, profit performance of a retail store based on that attribution. And it's the, one of the toughest things in retail today, it's been tough for years and years and years now, is to make sure that you never allow a wedge to set in between different channels of a business. And that's where true omni-channel is almost channel-less it's just this friction-free experience across all touch points and all formats. Uh, and I, I feel like that's, that's just something that's a part of who we are. What kind of training do you provide to your team members, your store associates, so that they can be this kind of fully rounded, super cool, very relaxed, hyper-flexible kind of workforce that you're relying on? Yes, yeah, some of that some of that is very structured. So when we get to like our, we call it our member chat, when we're going to talk about the, the membership model aspect of our business, 
it's so important that that person who's who's listening to that inner part of that interaction be told exactly what that membership is all about. Um, so that part's very structured, and there's specific things that we want to make sure that associate says. When I think about our customer service model, um, we have we have these different elements to the model, but none of that's scripted. We want the associate to just be themselves, be uplifting, be engaging, um, and have high energy. Uh, and that's really what that that experience is all about. Training is critically important. We use a we use a training platform uh, that allows us to kind of communicate with all of our associates and, and train in, in innovative and exciting ways. Uh, and I think we're constantly going to look for new and exciting ways to to train the teams. But a big part of that is hiring the right individuals to start with. Um, and and they seem to they want to pick it up. They want to learn about the product. They want to learn about the membership. And they're really eager just to get out there and engage with other people. You seem to me like a very different kind of retail leader, somebody who has really embraced the whole mentality of how people work differently today. Tell us about your personal career journey. Where did you get this level of enlightenment? (laughs) Um, You know, my personal journey, I started in 1987 I was going to Boise State University. I started as a part-time delivery helper on a delivery truck for Sears. Um, and I, I think I was fortunate in those early days of my life, I was, I was very fortunate to have really great mentors, just people that kind of taught me. They taught me about the retail business, but they taught me about people. And they taught me about you know the importance of doing business the way people want to do business, the importance of treating employees the way employees want to be treated. And I think it's a little bit of a lost start. Everyone's trying to put people in a particular um, position or particular customer service model. And times have changed so much. I, people know what they want. And, and I think um, you know, we've got to figure that out. To the best of our ability, you can't figure everything out for, for employees but there's a lot of things we can figure out. And, uh, and I think, you know, I'm fortunate to, to have been, uh, you know, have the opportunity to work for textile and to work for Fabletics. Uh, and, and the corporate culture matches really well with who I am and what I believe in. And we're able to bring that uh, to life in our retail stores as well. So I suspect for the time you were at Sears, it was probably a place of mixed fortunes, really. As you say, you know, working for a business which had had a tremendous heritage, one of the absolute pioneers of retail in the US. What do you think are some of the lessons there that other retailers can learn from the Sears story? Yeah, I go back when I think of Sears for me and that family atmosphere that I started into in in, uh, in the late 80s. And it was really like that for the next 10 or 11 or 12 years. Where Sears lost their way is they put so much focus and attention on just a couple of things, very tech, very innovative related. Um, they lost track of that physical space. Um, so they, they stopped remodeling their retail stores. They really stopped investing in retail associates and that kind of that retail, that really incredibly strong, uh, and I would say a competitive advantage that they had was these these professional-minded salespeople and, and servant leaders and just a great core group of folks. And they stopped focusing on that, focused too much on uh, on online and, and some other things that they were kind of steering toward. And, and I think that's the importance of kind of physical retail today. I think it can be summed up in, in some of the mistakes that those bigger retailers made. And we, we all have to find ways to inspire people at all levels, among all age ranges, 
we have to inspire people to be them be their best selves and 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 maybe do uh, do work that they didn't see themselves doing or or what have you i think that's the the real key to my role is you know strategy is a big part of it execution is a huge part of it but i've got to find a way to inspire 1300 people every day uh and and that's really the hardest thing that any retail leader does um People have to, they have to have a purpose, and and I think it's part of leadership. It's part of that, that the people who run a company to help create that purpose, and we do that through you know a lot of different methods and and different avenues, uh, and those are all part of those. But um, you know you've got to have good flexible benefits. You've got to make sure that people want to be in that environment, whether it's a retail store or a, a, a corporate office. You know they they see that what they're doing is part of something bigger bigger than themselves. Uh, and I think that's kind of inspiring and motivating, uh, but very hard to achieve. And that's that's that is the goal of of leadership is to try to create that environment. Uh, sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we stumble, uh, but uh, that that's what keeps everybody moving forward. And of all the great things that you've achieved within Fabletics, or even in in previous roles, you know, what have been some of the toughest moments or, or, or any regrets, I guess, things which seemed brilliant in concept, but actually failed in delivery? The last couple of years have been particularly tough. You know, it's funny, I have a tendency to, I look at the history and I have a really hard time coming up with negative moments. Um, I think it's, I'm just a positive glasses half full kind of a person. I have some recent memories uh, of the last couple of years with with COVID and COVID closures and, and just some of the different people aspects to that and, and some of the challenges that we all faced and, and went through and helped people through. Uh, I think that's been the most challenging in my career. Um, in terms of regrets, you know, it's it's more of things that we tried to do that maybe didn't work out or our timing wasn't great. Um, but that's business. I mean, that that's I wouldn't stop doing those things. Uh, I, I would go back and maybe do a, a few of those things differently. Uh, but, you know, we, we tried a couple of things and our timing wasn't great uh, in relation to COVID, but we learned from it and, and uh, we will try those things again someday. And presumably, this is also where the greatest learning comes from, because as you say, it's not to focus on the negative aspects, but actually say, okay, where do we take the learning? Um, which bits work well, which do we need to build on, and which would we repeat and do more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you've got to fail fast to, to learn quickly. And, you know, we, we believe in that. And, and we really want, we want our team members to try new things. They're going to make mistakes and, and that's okay. We're going to get better as a result of it. So when you look at the state of the, the, the nation, as it were, from a retail high street perspective, what are the, some of the things that you would like to, to see done differently? You know, what are the things that drive you to think, actually, you know, if I could improve this, this is the thing that I would like to do next? I think, you know, th- there's an emerging pattern of really great experiences in the United States as it, re- as it relates to small properties. Um, so I, I think we need to see more of that, whether that's the Avalons like in Alpharetta, Georgia, or you have Legacy West in Plano, Texas. Some of those malls we're in, some of those malls we, we'd love to be in, we're not yet. You know, I think that's going to be critically important. I get frustrated when I, I'm a consumer just like everybody else. And I, I, go, I go into retail stores sometimes as a consumer and then sometimes as a competitor. I want to see what people are doing. Um, and I, I get frustrated when when companies, retailers, they're not investing enough in the people aspect of their business. And, you know, technology is great, but technology just for the sake of technology isn't going to improve anyone's um, experience. 
So you go in and you have a, a lackluster experience or there's not enough people or you, know, you can't find a place to check out. That's not good for the industry. So I'd say that type of thing keeps me up at night to where you know, we need retailers to be good, whether they're a competitor of ours or not. We need them to drive traffic and make it to where people want to do business and want to do business in a physical space. And I think the more of us that kind of focus on that and invest in that, the better off we're all going to be. I, I get a strong sense that you, you know, love what you do. You've been doing it for a long time. And, and you know, as we've spoken about in this conversation, you know, someone who's kind of got quite a modern take on leadership. But if you weren't working within retail, and, you know, I don't know whether you've ever had one of these moments when you're just driving or you're lying on a beach or you've got some time where you're just thinking, you know, if you weren't in retail, what would you be doing instead? You know, it's a really good question. I think um, I like leading groups of people. So it would be leadership related for me. Um, I, I don't know that it would be necessarily for profit business or something different, but it would definitely include leadership and, and just inspiring large groups of people to do their best work. Now, Fabletics is celebrating 10 years in business. As you mentioned, two stores here in Europe uh, as your international side. Where next? I mean, look, London is a great place, but there's an awful lot more cities in, in the UK where I'm sure you'd be very welcome. But so too in Germany, in France, in Italy, in Spain. What's your plans? Yeah, we, we look at that. <laughs> we look at that all the time. Um, we have, when, when I look at our long range planning and kind of look at our retail strategy, uh, the UK is definitely a part of that. We've got some other countries we do business in. Canada is a great example that's a part of that. Um, we talk about other countries all the time. Uh, and I think uh, as we continue to do that work and and, and really you know, we want to expand responsibly and, and make sure that we've got the right strategy in place. But those are the types of things that we're looking at. And we're excited to, to make those expansions. Thanks so much for our conversation, Ron. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you and uh, very, very interesting to learn all about Fabletics and the business that you're leading there. As SVP Head of Retail, Ron Harries from Fabletics. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by Apris Retail. Want to take a deeper dive into the future of returns? Then you need the latest consumer returns in the retail industry report. Published by the National Retail Federation and APRIS Retail, it offers valuable insights into the overall state of returns in a range of retail categories. Compare your returns performance against other retail brands and understand the trends that will help shape better customer experience for your good customers while mitigating return risks. Download your free copy at aprisretail.com slash retail exchange. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>